So hi everyone, welcome to Women's Health Matters podcast, um, where we talk everything from women's health to helping your business, to period health, hormone health, um, sleeping, or any kind of emotional matters that come along in our lives. And I have an amazing guest today. She has just launched her book, and I'm going to let you. In- I'm going to let her introduce you, introduce us. Sorry, oh my God, so my words, and tell us all about her journey to how she launched her book. So, welcome to Women's Health Matters podcast. Thank you. So, I'm Catherine Evans. Like you said, I've just launched my book, "Being Vulnerable: Victim to Victor." So, bit of a journey up to the book. Um. The reason that I wrote it initially was a lot of people had said to me in about 2016, two years after I was diagnosed with cancer. And had 2016, I opened my own business uh, making chocolates and fudge because it's a very convoluted story, you know, backwards and forwards. <laughs> um, I had begun making the chocolate and fudge because during the cancer I found I really needed some sort of focus and I had that had been a hobby years ago so yeah that was what I used as a focus. Very good because I'm usual because usually you know the way with cancer everyone says what type of cancer did you have actually? It was uh, throat cancer the thyroid. Okay and what were your signs how did you know you were getting it? Honestly, I had no idea. Um, My voice had started to go for about two years. I used to work in classrooms, one-to-one special needs. And my voice started to go a little bit like it sounded like a cross between Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and Minnie Mouse. And then it would just go totally for a few days and the doctors just wouldn't do anything about it because it had only been a few days. Eventually, when it went totally... I went across, they sent me to speech therapy and they had, or sorry, no, that's, yes, they sent me to speech therapy, went to speech therapy and they gave me, you know, all the exercises to do, taught me to breathe properly. And one of the exercises was to massage your throat. And I happened to find a lump in my neck. And so anyway, I went back to doctors. Um, oh, we think it's a swollen node. But the, the first questions they asked me, though, before they said it was a swollen node, was, has your voice been more gravelly? You know, um, and I was, well, my voice has always been a bit gravelly and hoarse. I've always had problems with my ears, nose, sinuses, things, my throat. So that made it a bit more difficult to tell. And he said, you know, because alarm bells would have been ringing if I thought that you're throat you know you're having problems with your throat and your voice other than it just disappearing mm-hmm. so we said well do you know what just I think it's a small node keep going to the 30 days speech therapy, speech therapy. so I kept doing that and uh, like I say they're doing this I'd find the lump and as they do they refer you for things but it began to get sore so I was back over and uh, sent for a biopsy on it. And I was so lucky because actually when I sat outside in the waiting room, I was just, I'll do something. And I always, I always count the ceiling tiles, you know, a bit of something to do. 
Um, so I was cutting to the turns, massaging my neck. Um, I thought oh. I was the only one who did counting in, in the doctor's office. I'd be no. counting the things. Occupy your brain. If you're getting a bit nervous, bit bit antsy, count something. So I was doing that and then I thought, oh gosh, it's that second lump. And I asked them to do a biopsy on that as well. So long story short with the biopsy, it's a lot of up and down, up and down. They took out the one that was sore but left the other one. And the one they took out was, you know, uh, came back as being cancerous. So after that, then they were brilliant. They were really on the ball. And I thought, throw myself now into baking because otherwise. And so that taught myself to bake anything and everything I could. I taught myself to make chocolates, taught myself to make fudge, opened a business. Um, then... Opened a business as you were being diagnosed with cancer? Well, I had already had the diagnosis. Okay. That was very um, I, had, I had just had the therapy, uh, the treatment, and after the treatment, went, on a, went to a wedding in Italy. Came back and I was just going to go mad at the, the mental fallout. So I thought, right, okay, no, this is going to bake. And I didn't realise it. I became really obsessed. And I did all those things that everybody was sort of buying them, just kind of people round about, not in the business, but people were buying them. Um, so anyway, then this went on and people suggested, why do you not open a business? And I thought, oh, why not? Why not? So I did. So 2016, do you know when you go out, and I hate the word networking, it's so stuffy and business cards being handed about in suits. To me, it's just building relationships. So where I was going out and building relationships and chatting with people, busy comparing myself to everybody else, their achievements, their successes, how well they were doing, not in the best of places. And everybody, though, was at, would be asking you about your history. There's, gosh, you need to write a book. Mm, no, that's, that's not for me. I'm not an author. And I didn't think that I had anything to say or that my voice deserved to be heard. So why would you think that? Well, at that stage, I was very much, I didn't matter. I wasn't important. I was very stuck in the victim mode and that narrative in my head. So when did that start for you? When did that start for you? That's that's all in the book. So it is, there's been a lot of emotions unearthed through counselling. Things that I had never looked at from the age of 11. Mm. And these came out in therapy. And they were a lot to deal with and to face. And can I just say now, whilst there's a platform people to listen, if you have an emotion, let yourself feel it. That's not always nice, and sometimes it really hurts. But it hurts so much more if you don't feel it until later on. So please allow yourself to feel things. I I would one hundred percent agree with you on that one. It's like poison in your system. So I'm I'm going to throw this out there to you as just an interesting question because they they say when you don't speak up, it affects your throat. Yeah. Would you? contribute some of the reason why you got cancer to this totally 
Totally. I truly believe my chakra, my throat chakra was so blocked. It had so much to come out and it had to manifest somehow. And I, I believe that the amount of things I've gone through and they're all in the book, the amount of things I never dealt with that I kidded myself never happened. I was so good at hiding of myself and burying it. A very little type in my mind. There's no no wonder I had cancer of the throat. Mm. Really, because I just never spoke up. My voice was not important at that time. That's very powerful because quite a lot of people, women and men, feel that that they're not important and they shouldn't be heard and what they have to say isn't worth listening to. What, you know, what would you say to those people that feel like that? Oh, everything you feel, everything you say, everything you do matters. Everything, all your emotions, anything you want to say, you deserve to be heard. You, you, it's so valid. Anything you feel, that's an emotion, even if you feel it has hurt others. And I know what that feels like. That's a valid emotion in that moment. And even if it has, you know, intentionally or unintentionally hurt someone else when it comes to you as a person that that's irrelevant it doesn't matter because it's it's how you have felt it's how you've expressed yourself and that that everybody everyone has emotions has a voice and it deserves to and it matters so much and a lot of the time you'll find Somebody needs to hear what you're saying. They need to hear that, you know what, they weren't okay, but they kept going. They tried different things and they've grown and there's hope. I, I would hope from my book that people say, do you know what, she had a tough time and she was in a victim cycle. However, when that changed, I'm a victor and I choose to be a victor, not a victim. And anyone can do that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not. But we all have the choice to do something and it won't always be easy. I wish I could tell you it was, but it won't. But we all have that choice to deal with the things, to choose to be a victor. I choose to be rather fabulous. And the thing is about the book, though, I'm not up there. You know, I'm a victor because I love who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. I love the random, the quirky. I, I embrace all the things that I am, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I'm happy with where I am in life. That doesn't mean I'm a CEO. It doesn't mean that I have everything sorted out and, you know, no problems at all. Not, not at all. You know, I am still working through things. I still get days where I'm you know, those depressive behaviours are still there and I have to do a lot of reframing and get my... Oh, we lost you for a minute. Sorry, you, you, we lost you. We, you do a lot of reframing. Yeah, a lot of reframing, how I see things and how my perspective on things is. And sometimes I just need to sit with that emotion if I, if I literally have let myself slide and I cannot get it back, 
then I have to accept that. I have to sit with it and embrace the emotion, let it pass. But also really key, allow the people in my family to help me. Because for a long time I didn't. I was about to say that. Was that hard for you to let people help you? So hard. So, so hard. Maybe it was because you felt weak or maybe you didn't want them to feel hurt and upset that you felt hurt and upset. And we always seem to think that, you know, oh, I don't want to be a burden on other people. But I always say to be vulnerable is to act despite your perceived risks and your what-ifs. It's to be courageous and to act anyway despite all that. And it took a long time. How do you mean act? How would you act on those vulnerabilities? For me, the, Mm -hmm. the first vulnerability, it was I needed to tell people I'm not okay. I need help because I just was in an extremely dark, extremely bad place. And if I hadn't opened the dialogues, said, well, it actually just all randomly just fell out. And if I, but if I had not done that, taken action, told them how I was feeling, I wouldn't be here today because it was that vulnerability that was a catalyst for huge growth. That was um, very, it's very powerful to, to do that, but it takes a lot of courage as well, doesn't it? To actually go, I need help. Because especially, you know, as a, well, you told us, that, you told me already that you were 50 yesterday, so big happy birthday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're in your, I presume this happened around your 40s, 2016, yeah. that you started this journey and at that age you know you fit you think that you should have it all together and know what you're doing don't you it's just yeah you're supposed to know what you're doing your life's supposed to be on track at least that's what you tell yourself yeah and it's not how it is realistically but it's what you tell yourself I should be able to do this I should have it all sorted out by now hmm. you know but there's no rules there's no one says that you have to but like I say we tell ourselves that so opening up to someone and saying it's not okay it's hard and I actually got them to face the other way said don't talk don't look at me it all fell out and then you know a lot of hugs tears that sort of thing but all of a sudden I wasn't alone how did that make you feel when you realized you weren't alone oh the the relief I, I didn't realise, I mean, I still wasn't great, but I, I all of a sudden to know that I wasn't alone and it was okay if I fell apart. And I didn't have to wear this mask, which was exhausting. That in itself, you know, was uh, just, that was really powerful, really powerful. You know, I don't think that you realise just how much your how much energy it's taking, how much it's affecting you. 
I, I agree on that one. You don't realize it, actually. You don't realize it at all, do you? You're just no. in that phase. Yeah, you just, you're where you are. You're the center of it all. And another thing I have to say is, you know, you're, you might be at the center, you might be ill, and I don't take away from that at all. However, there are other people going through the toughest time to see their loved one hurting so much and knowing they can't do anything. And I think it's so important that we acknowledge those people who all of a sudden are thrust into the role of a carer. You know, that's tough. You know, it's equally as tough in a very different way. Mm. Yeah, it's very hard when you know you're, you're waiting for that reach out from the person, the loved one, but they won't do it. Yeah, it is. How, like, how would you reach someone who doesn't, you know, you recognize needs reaching, but you, what would you, how could you reach them to offer them that help? That being um, vulnerable is okay. I think it's, that's quite difficult because only the person who is in that really bad place that needs to be reached can actually can actually, you know, well, allow it to happen. And I find, and it's very, I think it's different for everybody, I find that the people around me, it must be very much about patience and listening when I was able to speak and listening, watching my behaviour, saying, is she ready? So that when I did open, then they were there. You know, I've got friends I know and I try to just listen. And it's hard to know what to say, what not to say. And you don't want to all of a sudden, without thinking, say something that seems to be dismissive of their emotions. You know, that's happened to me when I wasn't well. And I have no doubt that girl was just being lovely, really nice, but didn't know really what else to say. Uh, but to me, I felt like I was being dismissed. I can't remember the exact words, but to me, I felt my emotions were being dismissed. The one time someone asked me, how are you? And I was truthful to accept. And I felt like I was dismissed then. So a lot of the time, I believe you can't actually reach them unless you want, they want to be reached because we all need to make our individual choices. Yes, we can work with them. Counselors can work with us, help us to open up, give us a space to say the things we need to say, to feel them, to work through them. But ultimately, it's, it's that awful sort of, you have to do it for yourself and it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. But it's also very hard. You know, when like say that that girl that you opened up to and she, you know, was very dismissive with your emotions, you know, that would make you automatically want to close up again and not speak to anybody else. Just just because you're saying that it's made it's made me remember right now. It's a long time before I did open up about anything. That just happened to be sort of 
are really your know, school day, picked up the kids, do you know, talk at the gate, you know, the school gates, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it must be difficult to know what to say. But when, you know, someone says something that you perceive that is being dismissed and dismissing your own emotions, then you do all of a sudden just like clam up. Um, it was a long time. You've just made me remember. It was a long time between that and me opening up properly. So, yeah, it's, it's all about we can be knocked back very easily. Yeah, we can. It's a, yeah, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Because you can have all your friends telling you you're doing great and you believe them and you're doing brilliantly and you're an amazing person and kind and loving and caring and you need all of those comments. But then you have one person who says one thing and it's all disappeared. All the good things, all the hundreds of good things is wiped out by that one comment. Yep, every time, every time. Sometimes you just don't believe the lovely comments. No. You don't believe them or you you do the whole... Do you know what someone says to you? Oh, your hair is lovely. Do you just get it cut? Oh, yeah, she did a lovely cut, didn't she? You, you never... Well, you find... I always find it very difficult to accept a compliment. Lots, very lots of people are like that. Yeah, I always deflected with humour. With, oh, she did a really good job, didn't she? Or, yes, I love the clothes in that place. You know, but it wasn't the dress, you know, that was amazing. It wasn't the, the person who cut the hair that was amazing. People are saying it looks good on you. And that's, I find that very tough to take, to be honest. Mm. That's what, that's something that I would say to a lot of, uh, of, of the ladies that I work with is when someone says, you look good, you go, thank you very much. And you take it, like literally take that comment in your hands and put it in your heart because mm. it's a compliment and yeah. it's meant it's given with love. So it, it needs to be taken in with love as well. Yeah. It's amazing how much you don't take. Yeah, you would be. And I used to be like that, very dismissive. If someone said, oh, you look really good. I'd be like, no, no, I, you know, well, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> it would make me almost kind of get fearful in a way if someone said that. But um, yeah, it's. I think those compliments we need to take in to our hearts and believe them. Yeah. Yeah, I got a beautiful card yesterday from a very, very close friend, very good friend, who I could throttle because she doesn't believe in herself yet. Yet. <laughs> but I got a lovely card from her and inside it said, to the bravest woman I know. And it just strikes me now as we're chatting about this before, I would have been, oh, don't be silly, don't be daft, don't be daft. Everybody goes through these things. But yeah, I did. I, I, thank, I, did, I thanked it banked it and gave her such a hug mm, I like that thanked it banked it and gave her a hug yeah <laughs> that's a great way of doing it so how do you so when you wake up in the morning how do you start your day how do you start it where you feel good in yourself I don't always manage it but I, I like that I, <laughs> I love that like, if, if you can't be honest there's nothing yeah. people see through it yeah, they do. No, it's good yeah. to be honest like that. Yeah. I, gosh, what do I do, really? I sort of try and um, drop into my heart. How's my body feeling? Um, yeah, there's the other times where uh, 
a lovely lady that I worked with, Dolla Kennedy, now Dolla Kennedy Slattery. Uh, a course I did with her one time, she talked about anchoring. And we did work together. When you felt really good about yourself, a really positive emotion, you did something physical that anchored that emotion. And then when you needed that, you needed to draw on that, you repeated whatever that little physical motion was. For me, it was just pinching together a finger and thumb. Kind of like this? Yep, just like that. So when I, I, I love being by the sea. Uh, when I am down by the sea, I just feel my energy is just, oh, it's beautiful. And it makes me so happy and it makes me smile for no reason. It's, I just love it. Or paddling, paddling's fantastic in the sun. So those are the moments you do a quick little anchor. And in the morning, I find if I do that, or just think of something positive, like the birds singing outside the window. Those are the mornings I feel really good. And when you wake up and you're not feeling so good, how do you how do you shift that? Because, you know, it, it's a choice, yeah. isn't it? You can stay there or you can choose to move. And it's hard to choose to move, actually. It, it is. It's you know, sort of it. You hit that snooze button and you say, oh, just one more minute. Yeah. You know, just a little bit more. And sometimes it's actually my boys that motivate me. Uh, what's like, do you know what? If I don't get up, they won't get up. It's also, it's actually quite, uh, well, I was going to say selfishness, but it's not selfish, really. It's that making time for me because I love to get up make sure I have at least one cup of coffee before I get the boys up. And that cup of coffee is just sitting, me time, nobody else. And if I don't get up, I don't have that time that I absolutely love and I just sit and I have lovely calm. And I know that, yeah, that there is that as well, really would help me. That's so nice. In the morning like that, uh, I would... I love reading, so I read for 10 minutes before I get out of bed. I just love that. I've set a timer because I could get distracted by my book. Yeah. But it's just that five, 10 minutes just before I get up, before the madness starts of just me time. Yeah. That 10 minutes of just like, yeah. It's waking. so important. It is, isn't it? So important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rather than that diving straight into the day of boys, get up, boys, eat your breakfast, you know. <laughs> That, that constant and then when they go out the door say right okay get the animals sorted out walk the dog feed the animals and then straight into work it gives you that time to sit really calm or to do a couple of little stretches you're know, waking yourself up and I think we all need that in the mornings the stretching is really good in the morning because it gets the body going but also it helps with the digestion if you do your stretches it's good for digestion yeah yeah, it kind of gives you that it, it sort of wakes up your digestive system ready to go especially stretching around the around the waist yeah all right yeah <laughs> good, good to know good to know yeah, it's good to know do so it is yeah it is good and then you start your day I think that's uh, uh, starting the day in a good way really helps and I remember actually another lady that came to me and I remember the shock on her face when I said that she said, I wake and if I wake up in a bad mood, it stays there for the day. And I remember saying, but you have a choice. You have a choice. And I remember her kind of looking at me going, what? I have a choice. I don't have to stay. And I was like, you, you can choose not to be there. I find music's really good. If I've woken up and 
my mood is a bit like, well, I put on uh, some music and then Amber starts dancing around the kitchen or something. And then I, it's, we seem to laugh and laughter seems to break the mood. Definitely, definitely. But I love to get the music on mm. either Planet Rock or Spotify. And I've got my own little list of things. I love it. And I've got the most gorgeous, handsome hide. You find a dog. And he's a giant dog. <laughs> he is. He's a big bear. He's beautiful. So he dances with me. It's lovely, you know. Um, he's, he's just been my therapy dog. I didn't get him as a therapy dog. I had been off. Yeah, I'd been off work. Um, couldn't make the, the uh, definitive right. I'm not going back to work decision because I felt I'd be letting people down and then a whole lot of other things that I had thought. And so I obsessed with Newfoundland dogs. I just I discovered them and they were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And I had to get one. So I tortured my husband until he said, right, okay, well look. And there was just no way we were going out going home without limo. <laughs> no way. So my hound dog and music are fantastic things to kind of break through it if you're having a bad, bad day. Kind of break through it, have a bit of fun, laugh, and just that joy, you know, because the joy is a state of being, but the happiness is reliant on other things. So that sort of joy just of being in that moment listening to the music and dancing being silly silliness is so underrated it really really is oh I love silly I love silly so uh yeah that's to me that's a really big thing if I was to be constantly relying on outside validation and things to make me laugh you know I, I would be in a very sort of maybe not a very bad place, but I wouldn't make terribly happy, you know, most of the time mm. because you're waiting for everybody else to make you feel happy, to make you feel worth something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. You have to find it within yourself, don't you? And yeah. it is a search sometimes, but it is there. It's, yeah. It is there. Yeah, it definitely is there. So it is. So um, tell us a little bit about your business, Chocolate and Fudge. Well, you were asking me that I actually stopped. Oh, you stopped? Okay. I did. Uh, And the reason was because I had worked with Pat and Donna Slattery. And they said, are you living? We we did an exercise about, you know, living a fulfilled life. Came back the next week. Well, when you look back on your life from your, you know, 98 years young did you live a fulfilled life and mine was a huge no was that a shock to you not really okay not really because for a while I've been thinking I cannot wait to see the back of the chocolates when they leave the house when the order leaves the house could not wait to see it get out of the house the joy that I got from baking from making things that really feel good factor because I taught myself to make these chocolates because I designed those flavors. Mm-hmm. That was gone because the pressure took over. 
So it was no longer just me checking out for the day, relaxing, losing myself and baking. It was get this done in time, make sure it's, it's done, it's cooled, it gets frosted, it, you know, all those different things. And I'm working at the cost. And I just found that I wasn't enjoying it and I wanted to stop. So two years previous to working with them with this question about did you live a fulfilled life? I had been thinking about closing the business, but I felt I would let people down if I did that. I felt I'd be a failure if I did that or be seen to be. So did that exercise in their putting the pieces together program. And it was a resounding, no, I have not lived a fulfilled life. So it wasn't really a big shocker. It was something that I kind of decided to push the side and hadn't looked at. But I knew straight away what I did want to do, and that was to continue public speaking. I started that over lockdown, oh, sorry, before lockdown, uh, to write the book because whilst I was saying before, I thought it would have been cathartic, then it got to the stage where it wasn't just cathartic, it was this could help people, you know? And then this lovely moment thinking, I'm not even writing about myself here, this is somebody else. You know, this is somebody who's stuck in a very negative place, this is someone in a the, in the victim cycle. This is someone who doesn't like herself, doesn't love herself. And that's not me. So all of a sudden I had this lovely moment of clarity where, you know, I am a victor. I don't, I don't even have, you know, uh, whilst I still have depressive behaviours every now and then because they're habitual, but I have the choice to break them and to change the way I see them and change the way I perceive myself in the situation. I still have those days, but ultimately that doesn't matter because I'm a victor because I choose to be. I'm fabulous because I choose to be. And so I just thought I have to write this book and help people so they could realise, yeah, they could do it too. And it doesn't matter if they still have those down days. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think that's a really important message, actually, that you can't be happy all the time. You're going to have a day where you feel a bit bleh, and that's yeah. okay. And when you have those days, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. Just go with it. As you said, just go with the flow of it. Look at the emotion, see what's happening. Give yourself a break, you know, because yeah. it's impossible to be happy all the time. It's not normal or natural to be happy all the time. No, you know, it's not. not, you don't have to be like right down low, but it's okay just to be, you know, yeah. in a place where it's just, where you're just as you are. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I suppose that's, that's kind of how the book came about. There were stages of us being cathartic, being to help others, and then being to help others. And also it helped me hugely to reflect on things, to learn more from my experiences, more than I'd already learned. And the end of each chapter, I put in light bulb moments. And I think some of them were light bulb moments, things I never thought of before. Also, some were, well, I could look at them now and maybe think, they're actually more common sense, but so often we're in that place where we don't see it. 
So I've got light, you know, a list light bulbs after each chapter. And also uh, the techniques, some of the techniques I use that helped me. And I would urge anybody that if you, when you buy it, when it helps you, when, when you start to use techniques to help yourself. When you have, you got the, have you got the book there? Hold it up. Yes. Okay. There you go. And there's a reason for the feather, by the way. I was really drawn to it because feathers, you look at a bird, they seem so small, and feathers are so delicate. And you could always say that light as a feather, so it just floats away. But how strong must they be to get yeah. the birds through the air against all that wind? So, anyway, that's the reason for the feather. Um, but uh, I, I've lost my place now. Sorry, I interrupted you. I said I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's all... Oh, do you remember? It was saying about the things in the book, the light bulb moments and quotes. Uh, and I deliberately... Well, it came about rather randomly because my editor, as amazing and wonderful as she is, and I love her to bits, she wouldn't let me put all the quotes I found in. She said, it's too many. And she was right. She was, she was right. But I love a good quote. So I decided I would do a chapter, not just of quotes, but what I took from them. And then I did a chapter with the techniques. So when you use those techniques, I, like I say, I would urge you to see if you find that doesn't work. Tweak it. Try something new, because it's not a case of, oh dear, that one doesn't work. So I'm stuck. It's just that this one didn't work, but this one could. Or if I just do a little bit of a change, it will. You know, I love the word yet. I love the word yet because it says, you say, I can't do that yet. So that means but I will be able to. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's a lot of what's in the book and I hope could help people. Because you know, I, I was told, oh, do the colouring, you're the mindful colouring. Oh, I got so stressed, so stressed, and I beat myself up because I did the wrong colour. It didn't match. It was wrong. There's no wrong with art, but to me, I did it wrong. Uh, that was it. I ruined the book. Really? Yeah. You're Don't very, worry. very hard on yourself there. Oh, I was quite, quite uh, mean to myself. Yes, <laughs> I was. So it didn't work for me. So I had to find other things that worked. Uh, like to change how I saw a situation to find the silver linings to that and focus on those to I, I couldn't accept a compliment I would just, oh they made me want to crawl inside and die so I started to call it buzz moments and I would collect the buzz moments and then when you have a bad day you know, empty the bike have a look you know it's, it's, and you realise oh it's not so bad I had a bit of a buzz moment there so, yeah, there's a lot of different things you can do, a lot of different things, but you have to choose to accept who you are, accept how you're feeling, work through it, and you have to choose to do the work to change. Yep. That's the big thing, isn't it, that it's doing the work to change and, and accepting that the good and bad and that it's not going to happen overnight. I think that's... Yeah. But, you know, it's like that 100-mile journey, isn't it? You start... 
with the first mile. You can't start at 100 miles, but it's starting that first mile is the hardest one, but then you're on the journey. Yeah, you're on that's it. it. My, my first session of counselling, it was so hard, but it got easier. It took time. The first, yeah. the first bite was 12 weeks. But it took quite a while, but it did get easier. But I came out of that first one. I got home, I got the shower, and I was shaking. I was shaking and I was crying. Uh, I'm epilepsy, so I got really stressed. Stress is a trigger for me. And I had a fit. You know, because it's so, so tough when you just start out. But it does get easier over time. I don't believe time is a healer, but I believe it gives you time to learn coping mechanisms, to learn how to deal with things. It's the gift of it's a gift for you, it's a gift of time for you to be able to figure it out, to learn to deal with it. It, it may still hurt, but you learn to deal with it more easily. Like when you lose a loved one, it hurts so much. But after a while, you find ways to live with it and choose to remember the good. I think the expression time is a healer is, I think more, as you said, you learn to live with it. It's not that it heals you. You just get yeah. that. It's the, it's given you more space. Yeah. It's not so raw as it is in the beginning. So you have that bit more space along the way yeah. to heal. To, well, not to heal, sorry, to get ways of getting used to losing a loved one or whatever traumatic event has happened. Yeah. yeah. I do believe that. I don't think the whole goes away. I just think with time, it becomes easier. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because whatever it was, it happened. It's happened. That's it. There's no change of it. Mm. But you can change how you deal with it. And after a while, it becomes more manageable. Mm. But life is like this gift that you get. It's constantly unfolding. And, you know, each little layer comes away and you find something new. And every now and then you'll find a bit of a nasty surprise. But in the next layer, you'll find something to help you manage it. They're really good words. Yeah. Oh, listen, you've been the most amazing guest and so inspirational to women that are listening to this podcast. And, you know, I hope they take insight on this and that you can be, do anything that you want to be. You can, it's a choice um, that you make. And not always, you know, the one that you make is not always the easiest choice, but we, we have good resilience. We've been through a lot and we can face a lot more with yeah. With, with loving ourselves it's important oh it really is really yeah. so just before we go um thank you very much hold up your book again so everyone can see that oh, and congratulations on your book launch being that it's beautiful and and where can people purchase your book you can get it on amazon uh uk and it's a kindle and the paperback but the paperback is the better option because at the back you can there's a section for you to do little exercises so it gives you a space to write and even if you don't like to write the book then it gives you the example so you can see right okay that's what i'm doing you know 
because it's got that wee section for notes at the back. Um, you have to excuse me, I've got all the little, little stickers of it because yesterday was the launch, the live launch, so I was doing a few readings. So anyway, it's got all the little stickers there from that. That's brilliant. Congratulations on the launch and congratulations on getting to 50. <laughs> That's always a big one to celebrate. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. I always forget to say that. And thanks for listening.